Section 7 of President Lincoln's Attitude Toward Slavery and Emancipation by Henry Watson Wilbur. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Continued Urging and Arguing Matters progressed slowly, but steadily, during the months of August and September. Public meetings of all sorts were held. Ministers fulminated from pulpits and newspapers continued to appeal to the president, not always wisely or well, that the country's case might be met by an act of emancipation on his part. Still, with a sleeping provisional draft of emancipation in his possession, Mr. Lincoln showed no sign that he was about to take the step which soon thrilled the nation. On Sunday evening, the 7th of September, 1862, what the newspapers called a, quote, great war meeting of Christians representing all denominations, end quote, was held in Chicago. This meeting memorialized the president in dignified but positive language. The memorial noted that emancipation in the District of Columbia and in the unorganized national territory had not met the country's crisis. It therefore prayed the President that as, quote, the only means of preserving the Union to proclaim without delay national emancipation, end quote. Two of the leading clergymen of the city took the memorial to Washington and presented it to Mr. Lincoln on the 13th. There was a discussion at close range between the President and his visitors, touching the merits and practical character of their contention. The arguments at first presented by the executive seem strange in connection with the purpose he had expressed at the cabinet meeting held the 22nd of July. In the main, he cited the manifestly divided public opinion of the country. Quote, the subject is difficult, he said, and good men do not agree. End quote. He clearly intimated that the burden on him was very great, and the problem was not so easy as those who did not directly have to meet it fancied. Then he propounded this question. Quote, now then, tell me, if you please, what possible result of good would follow the issuing of such a proclamation as you desire? Understand, I raise no objections against it on legal or constitutional grounds, for, as the commander-in-chief of the army and navy in time of war, I suppose I have a right to take any measure which may best subdue the enemy. Nor do I urge objections of a moral nature, in view of possible consequences of insurrection and massacre at the South. I view this matter as a practical war measure, to be decided on according to the advantages or disadvantages it may offer to the suppression of the rebellion. End quote. The preacherly pleaders urged the effect an emancipation proclamation would have in making sentiment favorable to the Union cause in Europe. They also affirmed that such action would justify an appeal quote, to the God of the oppressed and downtrodden for his blessing. End quote, upon our efforts to end the rebellion by crushing slavery. Mr. Lincoln responded by an expressed desire 
to stimulate union feeling especially in the border states he intimated that we possessed an quote, important principle to rally and unite the people in the fact that constitutional government is at stake this is a fundamental idea going down about as deep as anything End quote. the discussion continued the president closing the conference with these sober and searching words quote, do not misunderstand me because i have mentioned these objections they indicate the difficulties that have thus far prevented my action in some such way as you desire i have not decided against a proclamation of liberty to the slaves but hold the matter under advisement and i can assure you that the subject is on my mind by day and by night more than any other whatever shall appear to be god's will i will do i trust that in the freedom with which i have canvassed your views i have not in any respect injured your feelings an explanation of the purpose of mr lincoln in this talk with the chicago clergyman is made by one of his biographers who says quote, for the purpose of fully elucidating their views he started objections to the policy they urged and in accordance with his old practice at the bar he made an argument against his own views and against the policy he had nearly or quite concluded to pursue in the midst of these weeks of pleading in which passion and prejudice were often so manifest there were utterances sane and sober christian and kindly which went to the centre of the whole matter in this class belonged a sermon preached in ebbett hall new york sunday september fourteenth by rev o b frothingham we do not know that mr lincoln ever read this sermon but if he did it must have impressed him much more than the superfluity of scolding with which he was visited mr frothingham made a touching and gentle plea for faith in men for confidence in the moral virtues and for the spirit of kindness we quote a sample of the preacher's noble utterance quote, on the one hand there is far too little of the christian feeling which bids us forgive our enemies on the other there is far too little of the christian feeling that bids us recognize the manhood of the poor and weak there is too much vindictiveness toward the slave owner too little consideration for the slave fatal either to the noblest success doubly fatal to both we must overcome these two formidable obstacles we must generate force enough to overcome them we can generate if we will the capacity for it is in us the materials for it are in us they are ready to be used we need faith to use them when the son of man cometh he cometh at midnight and it is not midnight yet will he find this faith i believe he will in spite of all that is said to be the contrary the belief deepens that the significance of slavery in this conflict is seen with more and more distinctness that the character of slavery is viewed with more and more detestation that the resolution to have done with slavery knocks louder and louder at the gates of washington that the answer to that resolution will soon come from the occupant of the white house End quote. 
It seemed to us that this story would be one-sided and possibly overdrawn, if it did not contain some account of the kindlier spirit which was present in the country in that strenuous time. Mr. Frothingham had faith in Lincoln, and success for the cause, when others faltered and suggested failure. Six days after the visit of the Chicago clergyman, President Lincoln received two members of the Religious Society of Friends from Southern Ohio. They were Isaac and Sarah Harvey. Isaac made the journey to Washington under what friends call a deep religious concern. In 1861, he made a trip on horseback through sections of the South that he might know the real condition of the oppressed Negroes. These venerable friends were found on a street in Washington by Secretary Chase, and an arrangement for an interview with the President was made for them the following day. We do not know just what happened in detail between the great President and the plain friends. Isaac Harvey, in his simple narrative of his experience, said, quote, Of that half hour it does not become me to speak. I will think of it gratefully throughout eternity. At last we had to go. The President took a hand of each of us in his, saying, quote, I thank you for this visit. May God bless you. End quote. Was there ever greater condescension than that? Just then I asked him if he would object to writing just a line or two, certifying that I had fulfilled my mission, so that I could show it to the council at home. He sat down to his table. End quote. The note given by Mr. Lincoln to the Harveys is as follows. Quote, I take pleasure in asserting that I have had profitable intercourse with friend Isaac Harvey and his good wife, Sarah Harvey. May the Lord comfort them as they have sustained me. Abraham Lincoln, September 19, 1862. End quote. Considering Mr. Lincoln's susceptibility to religious and spiritual influences, it is quite conceivable that the meeting with friend Harvey may have helped prepare the way for the Emancipation Proclamation issued three days later. More Incidents Regarding the Proclamation Some of the statements in regard to the preparation of the Emancipation Proclamation are undoubtedly based on the story of Frank Carpenter, the artist. In the winter of 1864, he went to Washington to paint the picture, Signing the Proclamation. For six months, he was a daily visitor at the White House, and occupied a room in it as an improvised studio. It was Carpenter's plan to get from the President a pretty clear idea of the way the plan and purpose of the proclamation developed in his mind, and these scraps of information are given by Carpenter in his book, Six Months at the White House with Abraham Lincoln. This is the statement put into the mouth of Lincoln by Carpenter. Quote, it had got to be, said he, midsummer, 1862. Things had gone on from bad to worse, until I felt that we had reached the end of our rope, on the plan of operations we had been pursuing, that we had about played our last card, and must change our tactics or lose the game. I now determined upon the adoption of the emancipation policy, 
and without consultation with or the knowledge of the cabinet i prepared the original draft of the proclamation and after much anxious thought called a cabinet meeting upon the subject this was the last of july or the first part of the month of august eighteen sixty two the exact date he did not remember this cabinet meeting took place i think upon saturday all were present excepting mr blair the postmaster-general who was absent at the opening of the discussion but came in subsequently i said to the cabinet that i had resolved upon this step and had not called them together to ask their advice but to lay the subject matter of a proclamation before them suggestions as to which would be in order after they had heard it read mr lovejoy said he was in error when he informed you that it excited no comment excepting on the part of secretary seward various suggestions were offered secretary chase wished the language stronger in reference to the arming of the blacks mr blair after he came in deprecated the policy on the ground that it would cost the administration the fall elections nothing however was offered that i had not already fully anticipated and settled in my own mind until secretary seward spoke he said in substance quote, mr president i approve of the proclamation but i question the expediency of its issue at this juncture the depression of the public mind consequent upon our repeated reverses is so great that i fear the effect of so important a step it may be viewed as the last measure of an exhausted government a cry for help the government stretching forth its hands to ethiopia instead of ethiopia stretching forth her hands to the government his idea said the president was that it would be considered our last shriek on the retreat this was his precise expression Quote, now continued mr seward while i approve the measure i suggest sir that you postpone its issue until you can give it to the country supported by military success instead of issuing it as would be the case now upon the greatest disasters of the war End quote. mr lincoln continued quote, the wisdom of the view of the secretary of state struck me with very great force it was an aspect of the case that in all my thought upon the subject i had entirely overlooked the result was that i put the draft of the proclamation aside as you do your sketch for a picture waiting for a victory from time to time i added or changed a line touching it up here and there anxiously waiting the progress of events well the next news we had was of pope's disaster at bull run things looked darker than ever finally came the week of the battle of antietam i determined to wait no longer the news came i think on wednesday that the advantage was on our side i was then staying at the soldiers home three miles out of washington here i finished writing the second draft of the preliminary proclamation came up on saturday called the cabinet together to hear it and it was published the following monday End quote. there are points in this statement 
which do not seem to tally with the notes made regarding the july cabinet meeting by secretary stanton it should be remembered that carpenter is reporting off-hand conversation with lincoln both men relied very largely on memory the stanton record constitutes better evidence as to what happened at the meeting in question than any other data we possess according to carpenter mr lincoln said that changes in phraseology in the draft of the proclamation were suggested by secretary seward the original wording of lincoln was to the effect that the government of the united states in all of its branches will recognize the freedom of such negroes as were included in the emancipation proclamation mr seward suggested that the words and maintain be inserted after the word recognize on the insistence of the secretary the two words were inserted mr lincoln explained that his failure to employ the word maintain was quote, because it is not my way to promise what i was not entirely sure i could perform end quote. in this statement we have a clear revelation of both the intellectual and moral honesty of president lincoln seward's suggested addition to the proclamation was made at a cabinet meeting held on september twentieth two days before the document of freedom was issued nothing contained in the carpenter story tends to disprove the claim that the july draft was mr lincoln's individual act and not the suggestion of any member of his cabinet it was in the latter part of august that owen lovejoy who represented mr lincoln's district in the lower house of congress called on the president at the threshold of the white house he met thaddeus stevens of pennsylvania mr stevens was urged to accompany lovejoy but declined saying quote, no it is a time when you must talk to him alone End quote. lovejoy says that the president's expression was far more earnest the lines deeper on his careworn face than usual mr lincoln hinted that perhaps he ought to take the field and stand or fall with the men this proposition was strongly discouraged by lovejoy the position taken by greeley in his prayer of twenty millions was discussed and rather approved by the congressman they talked plainly over slavery and the war situation lovejoy urged the president to follow god's warnings as he understood them mr lincoln then made this statement quote, in all of it if the administration or myself for which i assume the greater responsibility has made a mistake about slavery it has not been from negligence or avoidable delay on the contrary it has been uppermost in my mind i know that you do not wish me to say more now than this but i do want to assure you that it will be settled so far as i can determine and take it in the course and judgment upon it that you say is righteous and just that it is god's conflict that as he gives us light so shall it be the interview closed with a season of prayer in which lovejoy says quote, we laid our cause before god who made and built the nation whom we have trusted so long there were other interviews between the president and his member of congress 
before the memorable day in September. At one of these, Lincoln seems to have been greatly moved. He said he had taken the matter to God, and then saw clearly, as in a vision, that slavery was to be stricken, and practically by his official act. Then came Antietam, and this semblance of a Union victory, for which the President had waited as for the psychological moment in which to issue the proclamation. In the midst of the opinions and counter-opinions regarding Lincoln and emancipation, a new, if not a strange, witness appears in the person of the late George W. Julian, who says, quote, Few subjects have been more debated and less understood than the proclamation of emancipation. Mr. Lincoln was himself opposed to the measure, and when he very reluctantly issued the preliminary proclamation in September 1862, he wished it distinctly understood that the deportation of the slaves was, in his mind, inseparably connected with the policy. End quote. That President Lincoln tenaciously held to the old Whig Party idea of compensated emancipation admits of no doubt that he held to the purpose of deportation with any strenuous definiteness at the time he issued the proclamation is by no means so clear in his public utterances gathered in complete works we find but two references to deportation one is in the famous cooper union speech delivered in new york february twenty seventh eighteen sixty his reference is a clear-cut quotation from Thomas Jefferson, and is as follows, quote, It is still in our power to direct the process of emancipation and deportation peaceably, and in such slow degrees that the evil will wear off insensibly, and their places, the Negroes, be, paripasu, filled up by free white laborers. If, on the contrary, it is left to force itself on, human nature must shudder at the prospect held up. End quote. That Lincoln in 1860, and long after, hoped that freedom might be slowly and safely secured, is in line with his hopeful and peaceable spirit. It is surely suggestive that Jefferson saw what would happen in sorrow touching slavery, if the evil was not disposed of in the domain of common sense and the common conscience the second reference to deportation is in the message of eighteen sixty two with which we shall deal later on he says quote, this ought not to be regarded as objectionable on the one hand or on the other inasmuch as it comes to nothing unless by the mutual consent of the people to be deported and the american voters through their representatives in congress we leave the matter of lincoln and deportation to be passed upon by the judgment of the reader in the light of the weight of general evidence as to lincoln's mind regarding slavery herein presented end of section seven